Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Genesis chapter 39, Genesis chapter 30. It's fantastic. You all good? Genesis chapter 30, and we're going to start reading in verse 25. We're talking tonight about how to deal with our past. The, the series of messages that we're in at the moment is called You Asked For It. And people in our church family have been emailing in and asking questions. And then throughout the month of November, we've been answering these questions, hence the title, You Asked For It. And one of the common questions that's been coming up has been about my past. Do I have a future in God when I have a past from before I became a Christian? How can I move on from my past? Is there a future for me when I'm carrying some painful memory from my past? And tonight, we're going to deal with this. At the end of the service, we're going to give an opportunity for prayer. And I've just got a feeling that some people may have come to this building in one state of mind, one state of heart about what's going on in their life and the hope of their future, but that tonight might be the night where you move beyond the pain of your past. I'm not promising that it'll be erased, but I am promising that the God of the universe loves you, wants to intersect your life. He's got a great plan for you. Does anybody believe that tonight? And that this might be the night where a seed of hope and faith gets placed in somebody's life to empower the future that Jesus had for them. If you believe that, say yes this evening. Verse 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, we're not preaching on that tonight. Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has feared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. By the way, anybody that's got a boss in this room needs to remember that verse. You know how I've worked for you and how your livestock, in other words, whatever you asked me to do, has fed under my care. Here's the symbol of a godly worker. The little I had, the little you had before I came has increased greatly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. That should be the testament of every Christian in every job that they have. Do you believe that tonight? But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? Laban asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on me, uh, check on the wages you have paid me, any goat that is in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, 
and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that have white on them, all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches of poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white strips on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, he placed them in front of the branches and they bore young that was streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked or dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. This is an amazing passage of scripture. And really, so much of the book of Genesis is devoted to the story of this guy called Jacob. If you know anything about Jacob, you'd know that he's a guy with a chicken past. Jacob is a guy who, but when he comes out of his mother's womb, is holding the ankle of his brother, who is the firstborn Esau, and he was holding his brother's ankle. And so they named him Jacob, meaning one who grasps at the heel or one who deceives. To, to grasp at the heel or to deceive are both translations of the name of Jacob. Carrying into the journey of his life is a name, and the name is Jacob. This is what you are. This is what you are like. This is what you do. You grasp at the heel. You deceive. Your name is Jacob. He, he ends up deceiving his brother Esau and getting the family inheritance, covering himself in goat skin, lying to his own father. He ends up experiencing the blessing in his life and becomes the one who possesses the inheritance of his family rather than his older brother Esau. In fear of his life, because of Esau's wrath, he flees from his family home. All he knows in his life is the journey of his experiences. He knows that he was born Jacob. He knows that he's a deceiver. He's cheated his brother. Really, the defining moment of his life was his own treachery when he convinced his father that he was actually Esau. And so he's living with a past that's hanging over him all the time. There are many people in this room who've come to the service tonight and really the defining moments of your life are at least as horrific as Jacob's, if not far worse. Some moment, some event, some childhood trauma. His parents named him Jacob. I mean, people here have been forced to wear Roman sandals, but it gets a lot worse than that. We carry stuff from our past. Anyone know what I'm talking about? All Jacob knows is the pain and the trauma of his yesterday, and he's walking forward into his future. Now, this is what I know about life. You'll never move beyond your past 
unless something becomes more real than the pain of yesterday in your heart. Jacob is running for his life and the Bible says he reaches a place where he goes to sleep and he puts, excuse me, he lies down on the ground and he puts under his head a stone. I don't know why you would put a rock under your head and use it as a pillow, but times were bad for Jacob. So he's got a rock as a pillow and in the middle of the night he dreams a dream in the dream he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on a ladder that is standing in front of him and at the top of the ladder is God Almighty himself who says I am the God of your father Abraham I'm the God of your father Isaac and I am your God and I will be with you and I'll watch over you and I'll bring you to this place and everything that you see I'm going to give it to you Jacob wakes up in the morning. I I want you to understand that whenever you see a rock in the scripture, it always speaks to us of our memories. I I preach a message every couple of years in our church based on this passage of scripture. And I like to come back to it because I believe that unless we can deal with our memories, we'll never be liberated to walk into our future. And whenever you see rocks in the Bible, they always signify memories. When Noah came out of the ark, the first thing he did was to erect an altar made out of rocks. It signified what he'd come through. And he's saying to himself, this is a defining memory in my life. I must never forget it. And so he erected an altar made out of rocks to say this memory will define my life. Abraham, when God spoke to him and said, I'll give you all the land in Genesis 15, the first thing that Abraham did was to build an altar saying literally these rocks signify this moment in my life. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, first thing they did was to erect rocks and to make a monument saying these rocks signify this memory. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, rocks always speak to us about memories in our life. When the children of Israel left, uh, sorry, crossed from one side of the Jordan into the promised land, the Bible says God spoke to them and said, grab 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and carry them with you into the promised land. When they got over into the promised land, God said, now build a memorial, a monument based, made out of these 12 stones, heap them up into the sky so that whenever future generations look and see this monument and ask, what do these stones mean? You can answer them and say that the Lord caused the, caused the river Jordan to dry up in front of us and we cross from one side to the other into the promised land. And then God said this, When they see the stones and remember what God has done, they will see the memorial and they will always fear the Lord. And these rocks would cause them to remember a past moment and then out of remembering the past moment would have an emotion and the emotion would be fear of the Lord. And it's the same with any person in this room. The rocks of our lives, the memories of our lives will always invoke an emotion and our spirit doesn't live in time. So whatever memory is dominating your mind, whatever memory is dominating your heart will create an emotional state And whether the pain or the trauma or the difficulty of our past happened yesterday or 30 years ago, if there isn't something that comes into your life that's different, 
then when you remember it, you will return to the emotional state you had when the original, does anyone know what I'm talking about? And so here we have Jacob, this amazing man of God, yet carrying in his life a vast repertoire of memories and the rocks, the memories of his life are all about this painful identity of a failure, a deceiver, a supplanter, someone who's always grasping at somebody else. I cheated my brother for my own personal gain and his memories, his past is checkered. So this is what happens to Jacob is that in the middle of his journey, God intersects his life and he has this vision and God gave him a memory, a moment in time that caused him to think not about the past of his life, but the future of his life. And then the Bible says that the next morning, Jacob makes a monument, puts the stone that had been his pillow on the top of it, poured oil over it and said, this is the God I serve. And this moment, this memory will define my life. See, it's so often that in life, even Christian believers are looking for somehow God to come down zap their brain through some kind of lobotomy where we forget all the pain of yesterday. Somehow it's all erased and all the bad dreams, all the bad memories, all the trauma disappears and we just get to tiptoe through tulips into our future, not knowing that that's not God's way of working with us. See, God's saying, as long as the pain of your past is in your present, its pull will always be to conform your future to your past. So I'm going to jump into your life. I'm not going to erase your past. But instead of bringing you back to your past, God says, like the movie speaks, I'm going to bring you back to your future. I'm going to undo the pain of your past by showing you the promise of your future. I'm going to jump into your life. Yeah, come on, somebody. I'm going to make more real in your world the promise of what I'm going to do than the pain of what has already happened. It is the plan and the purpose of God that you and I don't live in the pain of our past simply by having or only that to hold on to. No, God wants to show us something about the future that He's got for us so that we can live not in the pain of yesterday, but in the promise of what He's still yet to do. He's an amazing God. Do you believe that tonight? Come on. He jumps into our lives and does what no counseling course could ever do. And I'm all for counselors, by the way. He does more than a psychologist could ever do, and I'm all for psychologists. But he jumps into our life and he shows us something that's greater than just trying to unpack yesterday. He says, no, 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 spend the rest of your life unpacking what I've already showed you about tomorrow. He's a great God. Jacob, when our passage that we're reading from tonight, Jacob, when we reach this passage, has already experienced this moment and has spent at least the last 14, probably about the last 18 years of his life, living with the promise of what God is going to do in his future, alive in his heart. He reaches this place where he wants to leave his father-in-law, Laban, from whom he has married two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Sorry, a little mind blank there. 
wants to leave them and go back to the land God's promised him to give. And he goes to Laban and he says to Laban, I want something for myself. Now notice that Laban says, what is it that you want? And I'll give it to you. And the world will always give you something to shut you up. But God doesn't want his people receiving handouts and then sitting back and shutting up. Jacob says to Laban, don't give me anything. If the Spirit of God is in your life, you won't be looking for somebody to give you a handout. You'd just be looking for an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to give you a hand up. Come on. Jacob says, don't give me anything, but do this one thing. From this moment forward, any sheep or goats that are born into your flocks that are streaked or spotted or speckled, they will be my wages. And all the normal looking ones will go to you. Now Laban is considering this offer and he's gone back through his years as a shepherd and this is what he's saying to himself. He's saying, well, you know, I've been around for a long time. I've got two daughters old enough to marry. I've been doing this for many years of my life. I've observed year after year of newborns being born and this is what I know. It's always the same percentage of sheep and goats that are born speckled or spotted or streaked. The sheep don't change. The goats don't change. See, there's a lot of people going to speak into your life. A lot of pressure is going to come at you from the Laban force in this world. See, Laban is a type in our passage of the system of this world. And the system of this world is going to make you to believe that because of what you've been through in your past, that this is going to be the limits of your future. You were born in poverty, you will die in poverty. You came into this world in trauma, you'll leave it in trauma. Your parents were a failure, you'll be a failure. And Laban, the force of this world, wants everybody to sit down, shut up, take a hand out, because what you were born is the way you'll always be. But Jacob didn't live in a Laban world. Come on, somebody. I'm grateful for a Jesus who didn't say to me, if my parents were uneducated, if I was raised in abuse, then I'll live like that for the rest of my life. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a promise, a future, a fresh start, a life full of opportunity. There's no lid on your future. There's no cap on your destiny. There's no reins that hold you in. Come on, if Jesus is in your life, then you are free indeed. So Jacob says, just give me this shot. Laban, thinking that people don't change when their past is checkered, when there's pain in their life, Laban thinks you're always going to be the way that you are. And that's why people ask this question. It's because we're fearful that we will always be the way that we have been. Or that somehow, because of what happened to us yesterday, that we can never kind of reach beyond certain thresholds and enter into what God's got for us. And I love Jacob because he's already had an encounter where God brought him back to his future rather than back to his past. And so Jacob knows that there's something different that's available to him. Notice what he does next. The Bible says that he takes a bunch of almond and poplar and plane branches and he puts them all together, effectively creating a giant canvas. Then he gets out his knife and he kind of flicks off a bit of bark and he takes a dark 
branch and exposes the white underbelly of the branch and then creates a contrasting picture. He creates a large, a large construct that when you look at it, it appears streaked and speckled and spotted. And then the Bible says that whenever the animals came to drink or whenever the animals were in, in heat and came to mate, that he placed the branches, the, the structure in front of the animals. And whenever they mated in front of it, that they began to produce speckled and spotted and streaked offspring. In other words, Jacob is saying they may have come one way. They may be carrying something from their yesterday, but I'm not going to leave them in a stationary Laban kind of world. I'm going to put a, a picture, a canvas. Listen, church, I'm going to put a vision in front of the sheep, because this is what I do know. They might be carrying an identity from their past, might be carrying trauma from their yesterday, but if I can place a vision in front of them, this is what I know Jacob's saying. He's saying sheep conform to vision. See, I want you to know, church, that people conform to vision. The God of the universe didn't just allow you to go through a past, but He's going to give you something more powerful. He's going to give you a future and a promise and a vision of who you are to become. And He's saying you don't have to conform to the trauma of yesterday. The pain and the failure that's gone on in your life is not what is going to drive you in the promise of your tomorrow. No, but you can get a vision from Jesus. And when the vision of God is alive in your heart, then your future will conform to vision. This is liberating. So simple. So very liberating. My life is not the sum total of my experiences. I am not defined by my family, as good as it is. But I am defined by the vision that God brings into my life. Every person in this room is not just a product of your circumstances, not just a product of your past. Man, the amazing thing about God is that He will take everything from our past and work it together for the good of those who love Him and accord according to His good purposes. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what I want you to know is that you don't move from your past to your future by staring at your past. You move from your past to your future by taking your gaze from yesterday and putting it on the promise of tomorrow. It's not about righting the wrongs. It's not about reversing the, un the pain. It's not about extracting revenge. It's about letting go of those who have hurt you, grabbing a hold of something greater. You got my yesterday, but God's got my tomorrow. And I'm, I'm liberated to step into my future by saying, uh, God's got a vision for my life, for my wife, for some guy in this room. So turn with me this evening to James chapter 1, verse 22. If you haven't got a Bible, it's going to come up on the screen. Is this helping anybody tonight? Check this out. Do not merely listen to the world, word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. Freedom. And continues to do this. 
not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. See, the Bible's saying, man, you may have come into this world and what you're staring at in your circumstances, in your family, has bound you, has restricted you, has made you feel like, man, I've gone through the stuff, I'm carrying it. Maybe it's just some haunting failure that's just got you around. And how does it make you feel? Restricted, imprisoned, held back. But the Bible says that you've got to get your eyes off that and get your eyes into God's Word. Because when you look at God's Word, He's saying looking at the Word is like looking at your face in a mirror. He's saying, man, oh no, because this is the problem. You think the mirror is the mirror in your bathroom. The mirror God wants you looking at is not the mirror of your bathroom. How many people know, man? I mean, you know, I've only got three skin colors, white, pink, and fluoro pink. I was joking with the star because I've been on my, on my bicycle so much. That is my tan line from my bicycle sleeve. And they're like, what, what, what tan line? Shut up. But this is about as brown as this white boy gets. I mean, that's, that's it. When I look at the mirror, what do I see? I don't see majesty. I look in the mirror. Come on, you're no different from me. You can have a gorgeous face, look in the mirror, and what do you see? One pimple. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's not like you're like staring at yourself for five minutes going, man, you are hot. And then, and then oh, I've got a pimple. No, no, no. When you, when, the moment you look at that mirror, the first thing you see is the one pimple. So the Bible says, stop looking at that and get your face into God's Word. Because God's Word is a mirror that shows you who you really are. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who loves you. You're more than a conqueror. You're ahead and not the tail. Above only and not beneath. In all these things, you're more than a conqueror. Greater is He who is in you than he that is in the world. God is for me. Who can be against me? God, if you look at the book, you start to realize who you are and it gives you a vision. And the more you look at it, it doesn't see someone's here tonight and you're saying, but John, I haven't had that Jacob moment. I've never put my head on a rock. I've never had God show me some kind of vision. He gave you a vision. There's, there's 66 books, 1187 chapters. 31,102 verses, and mine might be electronic, but it's just as powerful. And when you stare into the God's Word, you're getting a vision for your future, a vision for your life, the promise of God over your life. You were destined to reign, born with a promise, heir of a throne. You're created by God to rule and reign. You're too Christian for your church. You're amazing. Because, girl, you're amazing. And God wants you and I living out of His vision. It's the same. When you look at the perfect law, that brings what? Freedom. Doesn't bind you to yesterday. Doesn't restrict you from the pain of something that's happened to you. But when you look at it, you begin to realize that Jesus is enough forgiveness Man, He's enough forgiveness for every failure you've ever committed. 
everything that's ever gone wrong, every sin you've ever committed, every time you've ever been disappointed, every time you've ever thought, I just wish I could erase that one moment. You remember Prince of Persia? You know, it's all about a guy, the movie, The Prince of Persia. Did you like that movie? Maybe no one saw it. You'll all look at me like, what movie, Prince of Persia? I love that movie. I own it. But you haven't seen it. But it's about one guy trying to reverse one moment. You don't need to reverse one moment. I reckon somebody just needs to hear that. You don't need to reverse one moment to have a blessed future. You don't. You don't. And I speak to that lie, man. If there's any person in this room who's sitting there going, but John, what about that moment? That Look, that moment might be part of the pain of your past, but I'm telling you, somehow God's going to make it part of the promise of your tomorrow. He's going to turn something around in your life. He's going to liberate that pain. He's going to free you for the future. And he's saying, man, get your eyes off yesterday and come back to your future. Oh man, every time the devil reminds you what you've done, remind him what Jesus has already done. Yeah, I blew it. And that's why Jesus came. And now devil, you've blown it because you just snapped in my heel. But Jesus is going to bust your skull. Come on, somebody. Give Jesus praise for what he's done for you. It's an awesome God. I love preaching at Arise Church. It's so great. See, the three things, real quick, let me just give you this. Number one, Jacob placed vision in strategic places where, where they drank and where they mated. So I wonder where you go when you need refreshment. I'm doing a lot of cycling at the moment. I, I must drink about, I don't know, five liters of water a day. Just keep drinking it. And whenever I need to be refreshed, I turn to a bottle of water. And what the Bible's saying is whenever you need to be refreshed, what do you turn to? Melancholy can be a great friend. Can be. You can hang on to the tragedy of your life, and whenever you're feeling a little bit dry and a little bit deflated, it's so comforting to turn to the pain of yesterday. But Jacob's saying, no, no, no. When I need to get refreshed, I don't turn to the destructive memories of my past. When I need to be refreshed, I turn to the promise of my future. I return every time I need something greater in my life. Listen, somebody in this room has got to stop nursing the hurt. You've got to stop allowing your present setbacks to just be the excuse given by the pain of your pain. You've got to let go of it and say, man, when I need to get some refreshing, I've had a bad day. Well, instead of turning to the fact that somebody did me wrong, somebody hurt me when I was young, my parents called me whatever, I'm turning to this book because this book says that the devil might have hurt me, but God came to bless me. You may have spoken something over me, but God declared blessing over me. When I need to get refreshed, I'm looking at what he says about me. Come on, somebody give him some praise in this room tonight. Oh, man. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Taste of me, God said, and your soul will delight as in the richest of fear. Whenever they came to be refreshed, they saw the vision. Number two, whenever they mated. But, you know, he's talking about the place where you conceive something. 
See, if you're going to move from the pain of your past to the promise of your future, you're going to have to be very careful where you conceive things. Decisions. You can't, you can't make a decision around the pain of your past. You've got to make a, a decision based around the promise of your future. It's very hard to do that. It is. It's real challenging. To say, man, you know, the last time I was in a relationship, totally went pear-shaped. End up divorced. It all just went, you know, she left me, he left me, he beat me, this thing happened. Then to make a decision to trust your life to somebody else, it's very easy to conceive. Make your decisions. Set your course. Conceive your future in front of the pain of your past. And the Bible says, no, if you want the promise of God in your life, you've got to make your decisions not around the pain of yesterday, but around what the promise of your tomorrow is. Conceive in front of the vision. This is the only way a marriage stays on track, by the way. I know, I know a lot of people in this room are single in our night service, but let me tell you this. If you want a great marriage, you can't be reminding each other about what they did that hurt you yesterday. Jillian, I've been married for 16 years. I've hurt her a lot of times, but I'm so grateful for a wife who's never said, well, John, you always and you never, but has chosen to isolate the incident, but then really come back to the strength of a marriage that is based around the vision of what God said our marriage could be. And this is what I do know. Listen, wives, your husband will conform to a vision. If you think he's indecisive, don't keep telling him it. It's not going to help. Give him a vision. You're a man of God. You're strong, decisive, bold. Love you. You're awesome. You guys are like, really? <laughs> I've gained a few pounds. Oh, you haven't. You know, look, you look as hot as the day we got married. Really? He's going to start busting out press ups. He's going to go to the gym. He's going to go to the next level because guys conform to vision. Everybody conforms to vision. Number two, Jacob fed vision to what would strengthen him and starved vision from what would weaken him. See, in your life, you know, whenever the weak animals came to mate, he took the vision away. When the strong animals came to mate, he put the vision in front of them. See, sometimes you've got to take the strength of yesterday and keep it in your present. I love the fact that I have two grandfathers who served in World War II. I want to keep that in front of me. Because that vision strengthens me. But then there are some things that I don't want to focus on. I don't want to cause those to be in front of me. Give vision to what will strengthen you. Number three, the third thing that he did was his success wasn't in what he was given, but in the vision he gave to it. Many people are looking for success in life because of what somebody is going to give to you. The band can come and join me. But learning that your past doesn't define your future is about saying that I don't need somebody to give something to me, but it's about the vision I give to what I already have. See, in our lives, if we're going to move from our past to our future, if we're going to let go of the pain of yesterday and grab a hold of our tomorrow, we've got to be willing to say, I don't want a handout. I just want a hand up. Give me an opportunity to give vision to my life and watch what is going to happen. Because this young man, this old man, this girl, this boy, we're moving forward into the promise of our future just by knowing that if I can give vision to my life, then you don't have to help me. God's in charge. He's looking after me. He's given me a vision and a promise. 
And I'm letting go of yesterday and grabbing hold of what God's got in my tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. So the first thing that we find out about Jacob is that God gave him a vision of a memory not yet seen. Second thing we find about Jacob is that he then began to give vision to everything that is in his world. And then the third thing that we find out about Jacob is in Genesis 32, verse 24. The Bible tells us that after he had amassed great flocks and herds and he gathered his wives and all of his stuff and his all his servants and all his possessions, and he set off to go back to the country from where he'd come. So much of Jacob has been about letting go of yesterday and grabbing hold of something new. I'm not Jacob. I'm not just a deceiver. I'm not, I'm not just a cheater. I've, I've got a promise from God. I'm giving vision to my life. But somehow, something about the pain of his past still lived there. So in the middle of the night, on his way back, the Bible says in Genesis 32, verse 24, that Jacob was left alone, and a man, we know that this man was Jesus, wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his lip, his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, So what's your name? He said, Jacob. The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said to him, Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. It's an amazing passage of scripture. Because the final stage in moving on from your past has got to be when you return to the moment and you find that Jesus is more powerful than everything you've ever been through. Because Jacob... His name means he who grasps the heel. So all night, all night, what I love about God is that he's willing to take time to get you to understand just how powerful he is. All night, I mean, it's not like Jesus is in there going, wow, wow, this guy's so strong, I, I just can't keep up. He just gives him enough strength. It's what a father does with his kids. You know, you wrestle just enough to show them that they can fight back but that you're still stronger. So Jacob fights with Jesus. When Jesus realized that this guy has got something good inside of him, the Bible says he, 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 he touches the socket of his hip, and his hip is wrenched. Jacob, because he can't stand, falls to the ground and just grabs a hold of Jesus. And Jesus is trying to get away, but he can't because Jacob... Is grabbing hold of him. Jesus says, let me go, man. I, I, I got to go. The sun's coming up. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And in this exchange, God goes, all right, so what's your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. 
he who grasps at the heel. And lying in the dust, being dragged by the king, it dawns on him that he's still doing what his name said he would do. He's grasping at Jesus' heel. And Jesus says to him, no longer, but now your name is Israel because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. And the total healing of our lives from the pain of our past comes when we understand that the name we've been carrying is not the name God has for us. And you go round and around sometimes in the same circle doing the same thing until you realize that you're not what people said you were. You're not what the pain says you are. Isn't it amazing how a boy who's been physically beaten on will then become some kind of muscle guy, not knowing that you don't have to beat other people because you were beaten, but you can actually move past it and God's got a new name for you? That a girl who's been maybe just told that she's nothing but pretty or maybe been exploited for her beauty will then just adopt the flirtatious way of living, not knowing that she's not just a girl, not just a pretty face, but a princess called by God, got an identity of Christ, doesn't have to settle, doesn't have to just, you know, allow people to do stuff but can rise above it. And sometimes you just got to know the new name that God's got for you. And I reckon all over this room tonight, that there's just this journey of Jacob life that God's wanted to do for somebody in this room. Because what I know about my life is that, you know, when I was a, a young teenager, you know, some days were great. I was raising a great family. But then when I went to high school, it was like the world went from great to terrible. And I carried the, the pain of that third form year in my life right through until I got saved at the age of 18. Pretty much from the time I started high school, I just dropped church. And really it was just because I was angry at God because I didn't fit into the school that I was attending. And I found acceptance eventually, but with the wrong group of friends. But I'll never forget at the age of 19, going to a Christian camp and having a moment with God. And in the moment, you know, the preacher preached this verse, Genesis 49, 20. What others intended for harm, God intended for good, for what is now being accomplished, the saving of many lives. And I'll never forget, in a moment of time, seeing my hurt and realizing that through it all, God never forgot me. But he was greater than all of it. That he was always in charge. That you're not what your pain says you are. But God's got a new name for you. And I reckon all over this room tonight, there are just some people who just need to know that in a moment with God, he can give you a new name. He can give you a new promise. I'm not talking about a Sarah becoming a, you know, Michelle. I'm talking about somebody who feels cheap realizing that they're actually priceless. Somebody who feels downtrodden knowing that you're not 
the tail. You're the head. You're meant to walk on your adversity, not be walked on by people. And in a moment with God, he can come and do something amazing in a person's past and heal heal a, a grief. And it happened for Jacob, and I reckon it's going to happen for people all over this room tonight. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church.